Welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. I hope you had a lovely, lovely weekend and are ready for the week ahead. They're back at school today, so life gets back to a sort of a normality, doesn't it, after the midterm break? If you want to talk to us on the show today, remember the usual numbers, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. I have a lovely show for you today. Later on, beekeeper Simon O'Cronin is joining me. He's a lovely fella, he really is. He's based over in me and he's talking about the beekeeping year, challenging to say the least. Alice Taylor, she's back. We all love her, don't we? We had our 31st book, and it's a beaut, I have to say. We hear about a little dog that was abandoned in Dundalk. It's a shocking, sad story, it really is. And Mary Duff is with us ahead of the LMFM Country Concert tonight in the TLT, which is completely sold out. But Mary's popping in for a chat in a wee while. But first off today, you know I am an Arsenal fan. And I'm a little bit irked as to what happened at the weekend in Newcastle game. Yes, if you were watching it, uh, Newcastle won 1-0. And look, they probably just deserved it. But anyway, the goal, the goal. There wasn't one, two, but three VAR checks before the goal was given. So this annoying me a little bit over the weekend. I called a friend of mine and he's with me today. Yes, Dr. Errol Sweeney, former FIFA referee. He does a blog and a podcast called The Hanging Judge. And he'll be live online tonight. And I'm sure this is on the agenda. But beforehand, Errol, welcome back to Late Lunch. Thanks, Jerry. Good to be here. Thank you for joining me. Well, let's talk about this for a moment. You, you've watched it and I know you've watched it over again. This goal that was awarded to Newcastle at the weekend. And it's only one, as you know, of a series of controversies about VAR since it's come into the Premier League we see Wolves as well at the weekend another dodgy call against them what did you make of the Arsenal Newcastle you've analysed it in detail I know I have um, look the, the big thing, talking point um, apart from anything else there was an awful lot of really serious fouls that were going on and I thought the referee had a very very poor game and but that's that's another issue. I really thought he he was never in control, and I, I I could see really by his body language that he was wishing the clock to go faster than it actually was, so he could get out of there. But dealing with the the goal, leading up to the goal was the ball in a play or out of play, and a lot of people don't understand that the whole of the ball that's the circumference, not the part that touches the ground on the line. And I've seen, by the way, I've seen assistant referees, the ball running on the line and the sticking up the flag. So this, that's another issue as well. But in this instance, um, I don't know. There was no clear, definitive evidence to show that the whole of the ball, and that's very important, I'll emphasise it again, the whole of the ball, the circumference of the ball, had crossed the line. So you saying to me, which I thought I saw initially, I thought I saw a little green strip you between did. the ball and the white yes, line. Yes, but what part of the ball? Was it the underside of the ball that touches the ground or the outer casing, which is also the ball? And remember, it says the whole of the ball. So you're talking about the circumference of the ball. And I've shown you some uh, Yeah, you have, just before we there. come on there. So the whole of the ball, in other words, for people who are not maybe fully familiar with the whole of the ball... The side, the side of the ball, not the part that touches the ground, the side of the ball. Could be that still. That has to be clearly uh, across the line. And remember, again, for people who don't know, or maybe they do know, the lines of the field belong to the areas of which they are boundaries. So the touch line, unlike rugby, if you put your foot on the line in rugby, you're out of play. Yes. Totally the opposite in soccer. If the, the whole of the ball has to be across the line, for, so for you say that was inconclusive. You'd have to, you'd go along with the VAR people there. You'd say they couldn't make a call in it well, either. They, they had no clear evidence either. So you're depending on the player, to be honest, 
Yeah, right. Uh, and the referee to be yeah, and the referee to be close enough to see that the yes, whole of the ball across, which he was. I think the assistant or the linesman, as we used to call them, on the other side probably would have had his vision obscured by the uprights and so yes. on. If it was on on his side, then he would, he would have seen, seen it. it yeah. Okay, so look, we'll give them the benefit <clears throat> of the doubt of that one. That was the first VAR check. Yeah. Then there's a second check. Uh, in the box itself where a Newcastle player rises to head the ball and Gabriel the Arsenal defender is beneath him and when you look at that with my red and white hat on <laughs> <laughs> I would say the play- Newcastle player had his hands on the Arsenal's player the Arsenal player's back and didn't allow him you know rise to defend the ball Now Jerry, I'm not here as an apologist for yeah. referees and I've I've been criticised for criticising referees and I, I believe it's it's important to be fair and objective when, when we're talking about things like this so I'm not here to to yes to that's why you're one, here today uh, I'm an Arsenal fan <laughs> I want your view I'm going to get me, me yeah look me it did appear yeah it did appear as if his hands were on the player and the player went down now looking at the cynical side of it and how players can be so cynical nowadays and they really can uh, there was an incident in Manchester City got a penalty the other day because the player ran his hand across the Man City player's chest, didn't grab him. Now, I have a very good friend in, in, in down in Cork, a man called Declan King, as of, you may know Declan, no Declan great well. guy, big, big Man City fan. And he and I have very, oh, not discussions, but, you know, he's a big City fan and I'm on the referee inside. And he said, no, no, the player's jersey was pulled. It was not pulled. And Stephen Gerrard, I think it was, said a few years ago that a player has a right inverted commas a right to go down if he's touched what does that mean mm. he's a right to go down if he's touched and sadly too often and this is where I've been critical of the referees referees are giving decisions for that so you're saying that wasn't a penalty that wasn't a penalty it uh, shouldn't have been a penalty in the no, City no, game no no the City game no and it was given it was given and VAR looked at it and VAR looked at it okay come back to the new so the, the, Gabriel didn't rise the player you know, may or may not. Did you think that was should have been disallowed it, because of that the second incident in the Newcastle game? Well, was it a deliberate hands on the back of the player <laughs> or did the player deliberately go down when he felt the touch on his back because he knew if he did, he was going to get a free mm. kick out. But then they looked at it several times. Several times, yeah. Yeah, on the two issues, by the way, the one with the ball, was it in or out of play? Yeah. And they looked at the hands on the back as well. What was do you it? say on that? I really don't know, Jerry. Uh, looking at it in normal circumstance, in normal speed, it didn't appear as if his hands were mm. on his back. Mm. In slow motion, and we're all, you know, the best thing that was ever invented was the rearview mirror because we can look back and say, <laughs> yeah. And it did seem in slow motion as if his hands were on his so back. So would you have disallowed the goal? I probably would not have disallowed Okay, so that's the second one. Then the third one, there was a third incident where it appeared a Newcastle player's leg was in an offside position. They looked at that third one as well. You know, that, on the same incident. On the same incident. Yeah, oh, again. So that, that. yeah, they looked at the third, third one. one. Yeah, there was yeah. a third one as well. Yeah. They looked at that as well and looked uh, but they didn't give it either. Look, in a general sense, Wolves, I have to mention Wolves the weekend as well. Last minute penalty, Sheffield uh, United, Wolves fans must be going mad because when they showed it back, really the Wolves player pulled out of the challenge. Yet it looked you know, at full speed like a penalty, yeah. to the referee like a penalty. But if VAR really looked like that, that we did uh, on Match of the Day on Saturday night, he would have said uh, to yourself, no. And Wolves were done a couple of weeks ago with another dodgy one. So I'm asking you, video assistant referee, yes or no? Yes. Despite all this? Despite all this. Because there's nothing wrong with the system. 
The system is fine. The system is only a mechanism, like like this microphone that we're speaking into. It's only a mechanism to help you do something. So if it's done properly, and how come they're getting it right in rugby, in cricket, and in tennis? Well, the, well I'd say rugby is a stop-start game, just to talk about that. Uh, tennis, you know, they, can, they have their sensors on the lines and they watch it as well. And I know, certainly, they do take their time in cricket to look at everything. I find yeah. that, that really useful. I don't know what it is, Errol. Is it the speed of the game of soccer? And yet you have a team in VAR, a main man there and others with him, looking at it, talking to the referee. Do they need to take more time over it? No, absolutely no not. No more time? No, 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 no. There's enough time to, uh, already spent. No, there was a, there was a, uh, there was a, um, uh, a League Cup game during the week where the referee took five minutes and 27 seconds to arrive at a decision. decision. Now, mm. in the end, it was the correct decision. But then if you go back to the other instance a couple of weeks ago where Liverpool were denied a goal um, and they got it completely wrong there as well. So it's the training of the people. But you see what's happening? There's so much scrutiny now in the game that every single twitch is being analysed now. Now, initially, the VAR was brought in for four things. It was a goal, a penalty kick, uh, mistaken identity or a red card. Okay. Um, and then everything else was out. But now they're bringing it into other things. So maybe they should. But then if they do bring it in, then you're going to have a thing like American football, where the game is not 90 minutes anymore. It'll be two hours. Well, it nearly is two hours at the mm, moment. Mm. But it'll be three hours yes. if you're going to analyse everything. There's a lot of talk about, say, scrapping VAR. VAR will never, ever be scrapped. Reasons? Far too much money involved in the game. Players are earning telephone numbers and they're getting up to all kinds of antics to be able to justify the things that they're doing. I mean, the Arsenal, um, the Arsenal Newcastle game on the weekend, some of the tackles that went in there were just appalling. Mm. And the referee, he could easily have had two red cards. One yeah. was Martinelli who went in off his feet, dangerous play, violent conduct, straight red card, yellow card. Mm. Uh, the other guy, Bruno... Uh, who kicked the ball at Declan Rice and then the, he should have been sent off for two yellow cards again. It's all to do with the training of the referees and their ability to do, make decisions and to be strict about making their decisions. But Jerry, you see with VAR and television replays, they're, they're afraid that they're going to get caught out as having made a mistake, as would happen with Anthony Taylor, who was then demoted to the championship, mm. albeit one game when he was the fourth official on the... Yeah, let's have a listen. We have a clip, actually, of uh, Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal manager, uh, a short clip from what he had to say here after the Newcastle game. Let's listen. Playing in the run, and then we didn't lose the match because of the, the clear and obvious decisions. It's embarrassing. It's a disgrace. That's what it is, a disgrace. He said there that it's embarrassing, it's a disgrace. You heard what he had to say there, those words. That's only part of it, an excerpt from an interview, Errol, that uh, Arteta gave after the game. He was absolutely livid and the club have backed him now. Yeah, but he would be. Uh, I mean, he's uh, he's had the, the benefit of VAR in the past and refereeing decisions, which he said nothing about. Now suddenly it goes against him and it's a different story. And this is where the lack of real honesty comes in. And the managers and the players, there's no honesty anymore. It's all about winning. And if pushing and shoving and dragging and claiming penalties... Um, is done to achieve that, then so be it seems to be the order of the day. Look, at moving on from VAR, the way the players surround the referee, yeah. a fellow in the Newcastle game in Newcastle almost put his hand on the referee, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean, to, to push him away. Yeah. Uh, you see this all the time, they're around the referee, they're in his ear, they're rolling and there's not a bother of them on the ground. But do the soccer authorities 
ever want to stamp this out? Or is it, as a friend of mine says, Carl Declan, showbiz, Jerry? It's showbiz. <laughs> well, is he right? Our, <laughs> Mike Riley was a former Premier League referee, and in my opinion, my opinion, very poor referee, but he was head of the PGMOL, as the Professional Games Match Officials Limited. They're the guys who control, if that's the right word, the referees and make all the appointments for the different divisions. He was eventually. I uh, don't know what the right word is. He's no longer there. Let yes. me put it that way. Yes. And Howard Webb, former um, referee, was brought in. Now, again, not a great referee, although people rave about him. He, he made a complete mess of the 2010 World Cup. He handed out a world record, 13 yellow cards uh, in the World Cup in 2010 in South Africa. He's now in charge. And when he came in, people thought, oh, great, you know, because I have, I have a, a Monday show I do on Facebook uh, every Monday, the Monday Review show at... Uh, 8pm and I have former FIFA referee Keith Hackett and we discuss all these things and we're going to be discussing them tonight. Uh, Howard Webb came in, it was going to be a new brush, going to sweep clean. He was appointed in January but Mike Riley wasn't going out until the end of the season in June or May, June. Uh, so Howard had a time to sort of ease his way into the situation. He had meetings with the uh, League Managers Association. He had meetings with the club directors. He had meetings with God knows who. And this is the way it was going to be. And there was no more crowding around the referees. There was no more shouting at them while they're trying to make a decision. They're not allowed inside the VAR area the None of that's happening. Nothing. Nothing is. And if, in fact, if anything, and we have to be honest here, if anything, it's worse this year than it was last year when the old uh, Mike Riley was there and the old system was there. So Howard Webb has done very little. And this must be huge embarrassment. Now, he dropped Anthony Taylor last week for one game. But yet Anthony Taylor was the fourth official on the Liverpool-Luton game. Mm. So wh what was that about? Was that just... Mm. Uh, window dressing but you know when you see this and like the Premier League is mightily popular as you know in Ireland oh, generally everyone has their club over there yeah, I, I, I'm Arsenal but I'm from a distance and I understand you know yeah. they're not my hometown club but I follow them from when I was little and a lot of people do like that and the big clubs you know have Youngsters City up there now you know Liverpool uh, United etc Um <sighs> When young people look at that, youngsters, you know, who are impressionable, who are playing football, who are coming up through the underage system, and they watch that and they see what goes on, it's sowing the seeds of... They're mimicking it, Jerry. Isn't it? My little grandson is six-year-old, my son's son, yeah. who's now, and they live in London, and he's playing football over there, and, and uh, he was about to take a free kick. My son was telling me this. He was about to take a free kick. And what did you do? First thing you do, spit on the ground. Throw mm. it. And, 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 you know, Shane said, what are you doing? <laughs> Where did you what see you? this? But, he, you know, yeah, he's... I he's shouldn't laugh. It's, it's, it's yeah, a I know. case, monkey see, monkey do. Yes. You know? Yeah, and it's it, it, it certainly is having an influence on matters. But I suppose, Errol, even without VAR, and you remember well... This debate about decisions, right or wrong, was it a goal? You know, it is part of the game and yeah. it's always been there. But VAR seems to have, I don't know what it's done to it. It's well, VAR has taken away the subjectivity, if you like, to make it more objectivity. Like, it, refereeing decisions are very subjective. They make the decision yes. on what they see at the time. And we've done that down through the years. And even when I was refereeing here many years ago, we made decisions based on what we saw. Sometimes we got it right, sometimes we got it wrong. But you made a decision 
in, in, you know, in all honesty and fairness. But now VAR has taken over because VAR, video assistant referee, that's what I mean, with the emphasis on assistant, because that's what it is, just like a linesman or assistants, as we now call them. They are an assistant to the referee. Still, even with VAR, the referee still has the final say. He can accept or reject the, the, uh, the yeah. recommendation from the VAR guy. Yeah. He can, and Jerry, by the way, one time we used to we used to referee uh, with all our guys around here. We used to referee on our own That's with right. no linesman. Yeah. Do you know how many guys there is now in a VAR situation? Nine. And they still no, can't get it right. And they still can't get it right. <laughs> I mean, that's a ridiculous part. But I think, I think English referees are scared now to make a decision because they're going to be lambasted by anyone. Clubs, managers, coaches, players, and of course the court of public opinion because they'll have their say as well. I remember that all right. A single referee, no one helping you yeah, talk. Oh, and we did it. Imagine trying to call, call an branch. offside. God bless us, going back to the times of Mickey Bailey and, and yeah. you know, and all the others, uh, uh, local referees. And I know Jim Dooley's listening in as well, so I'll give him a mention. But we, we did it on our own. Mm. Everything. We had to do offsides as well. You, it's nearly impossible because the ball would be hoofed down there and you, you'd take a chance. You know? You'd have to run out of the ground today with the way people f- feel about the thing. Bolt wouldn't keep yeah. up. <laughs> so in a general sense, you feel that VAR is here to stay and that's it. And oh, yeah. you just got to work on making it better. Is yeah. that what you... That, that's exactly And the it. swings and roundabouts. Yeah. You uh, mentioned because, that. No, they have to get it right, Jerry. Yeah. Because there's no... There's no... There, there can't be any more doubt about okay. whether the decision is yes. correct or not. Yeah. The VAR is there to tell you whether it is or whether it isn't. Tonight, what time? Eight o'clock. Where can people tune in? Eight o'clock, facebook.com forward slash, because I was known as the Hanging Judge. So forward slash, Hanging Judge Ref. All one word. Eight o'clock. <laughs> Not to be missed. Thank you so much for dropping in today. Great to see you again, Errol Sweeney. Anytime, Jerry. Thanks. Well, actually, she knows how to do it by the, the arse of our pants, as they say. Mary Duff, welcome to Late Lunch. Hello, Jerry. How are you doing? I'm You're good. right there. It's grand time. Diversions of Cullen. Right round the monster bice. Oh, my God. The sky was blue on me coming up. The car was blue. Everything was blue. Well, listen, it's great to have you with us because already the messages are coming in for you today. And listen, this is just a a sample of what's coming to us. Hi, Jerry. I'm so delighted that Mary Duff is on the show with you this afternoon. I'm going along to the big night and the TLT tonight and I can't wait to see Mary with the wonderful lineup That comes in from Joan in RD this afternoon for you. Thanks, Joan. I hope to get chatting (laughs) to you after the show, maybe. Say hello. Please do and say hello to Mary. Well, well, well. Welcome back. I can't believe this. This is the first time you've ever appeared on the LMFM country it show. It is, yeah. Well, I was asked now, I have been asked several yes. times, but I've always been away. And this is the only time I've actually been at home for it. And uh, Darren rang up and says, could you do it? And I said, Jenny, jumped at the chance. Yeah, it's great to get a chance to do it. And, looking forward you know, to it? Looking local audience. Yes. Say, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, like, it's nowhere like home. I, yeah. I call it home because yes. it's like the road. But at the same time, you're always more apprehensive and nervous because it's home for some reason. I don't Even know why that you, is. Mary Tom. Oh, yeah. My stomach's in knots all day. <laughs> I was the hairdresser early before I came here and she says, are you grand? I said, no, I'm jittery, I'm jittery. <laughs> but I think every art is the same in their own yes, home yes, area because yes. they're just, not that people will be judging, but you just want to be doing your best for the people yeah, there. I know. As you do everywhere, but particularly local people mm. because you've been beating them maybe more often yeah. and say, God, look at you on there, who does she think she is or something, do you know? So, but anyway. No, they won't. I just look at the line-up tonight. Just said Brendan Shine, yeah. Robert Mazel, Jerry Guthrie, Jimmy Buckley and the Conquerors. You know, when I look at the line-up, and this is mm. something, I know you commented on this before, Country music is still dominated by men, isn't it? It probably is very much so. 
but there's an awful lot of young um, up and coming yes. female artists um, I was over in Inverness there it was last weekend the weekend before um, and it was on one of, a show with lots of majority girls actually there was right. five girls including myself Great. on the show which was fantastic yes. but a lot of them maybe are not getting the chances you know that they could be getting yeah particularly from the bigger station maybe they're not you know the country programme for example yes. the big one on, on yes on the big station we won't maybe mention but they very rarely feature new artists mm. which they should be doing encouraging them I you know understand. and helping them because it's a hard old road mm. and particularly for women because you know you've well, you, you know, it's just hard for women yes. because the majority is men in, yeah, in the business, yeah, you know. Yeah. So yeah, and if you don't give new talent a chance, well, look at what is the future, you know. And yeah. I know they love to hear the the established like yourself yeah, and the others yeah. as well. But good point made. Come on, you it's time to, to give a chance. Yeah, you do. Room for them the and, clock and, and yeah. it moves on. And talking about moving on, of course, it began. The first concert was 2017 with the late mm. great Dermot Finglas, mm. of course, who Dermot, interviewed uh, you many a times. He was a friend of all of us. Wasn't yes, he? he was. He was a real friend to country music. And you have a new friend now and Mr. Darren Marin. Darren, yeah, yeah. Darren's fantastic. He's playing the records, of course, and keeping everyone up to yes, date what's happening. Yes. I mean, it's, it's hard for the DJs, I'm sure, as well, because they've only such a limited time. Mm. With the, with the, what do you call it, the internet now, it's, it's obviously yes. getting to more people, yeah. which is great. Yeah, and of course, we have LMFM Country, just reminding you, mm. it's on there 24 hours a day and Darren Mahan featured there and our own Paul McKenna as well, mm. if you want your fix of country music mm. at any stage. Um, You've a new record deal. You signed it a wee while ago and you're working on this new yeah. album, aren't you? Yeah, I signed with AGR. Um, they're a German-based uh, universal record company. Yes. So I'm thrilled I've got the opportunity, I mean, you know, to get at any stage, but particularly at this stage of my life, you kind of be thinking, I oh, you not much chances left for you now, but there's still plenty of life left in the old dog, Come I say. Come on, Mary. <laughs> Go out of that. You're only a young one. What are you talking about? But it is. It's of good to get that. Is. It's good yeah, to But get you have it. a new deal and yeah. you're working away on the and album. And it's worldwide yeah? distribution, which yes. you can't get everywhere, so it's fantastic. Yeah, the album's almost finished. Uh, still, still putting, you know, you always hear little things, I'll change that, I'll no matter how long you have to do it, you still hear something different you want to maybe change. So, mm. um, if it's written, it's all original album, written by lots of people whom I've met down through the years. I suppose I've, you know, travelled a lot with my Daniel and, and in my own right and yes. particularly met a lot of people in Nashville and went to visit them at different stages and got to know the different songwriters. Mm. But in picking the songs, um, I didn't know who wrote them. I just listened to songs first. Yeah. Get a load of songs, listen to them, not knowing who wrote them and then, oh, I like that song, I like that song. And then afterwards you find out who wrote that anyway and it could be, you know, with Pat Alger and we've different, um, you know, different uh, not Garth Brooks, he's not this one, Kent Maxson's on this yes, one, and Randy yes. Fincham. People are well known in Nashville for their writing, mm. and uh, fantastic to get them. And I think they're all good songs, I picked them all myself. Mm. So, as you do, you, you pick what you think is the of best course. for your audience and for your voice and mm. you know who you're performing to. Mm. So, hopefully, everyone will like them when, when they hear sure them. I'm sure they will. When do you expect the album to come out? Um, there's no actual date on it yet. Right. Um, the next couple of months, I'd okay, say. Okay, great. I mean, it's no point putting it out now. Obviously, with, uh, you need Christmas songs. Yes. But um, no, it, New it, it Year. Won't be too long. You'll new see year. it in new the New Year. year. Yeah. There's somebody asking yeah. me, what about the concert tonight? Are there tickets? There are no, no tickets. The LMFM Country Concerts has sold out every single year since it started, and this is sold out. Young school. I'm sorry to tell you, you'll just have to get in early next year. Um, no, it's it's a full house and full house signs up tonight. So there you go. Sorry about that one. But it's a good complaint. To have that it fills every single year the appeal you know it's it's the appeal of country is enduring isn't it I mean you hear people saying oh country music is gone you'll move over but it's not gone I mean um, country music is about real people it's about you know real things that happen in life Mm. and they live on forever the songs because they're always 
you know, appropriate to people. Whereas maybe a pop song says, I love you, I love you, I love you. And it's saying the same thing over and over. For, <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's not that much in it. A child can really write the songs. But the country songs, um, there's more heart in them, I think, and more meaning yeah, in them. They're about yeah. real people. I mm. think that's why they have such an attraction. Oh, it remains so strong in this country. And of course, in yeah. the States, as, as you know as Huge. well, how yeah. powerful it is yeah. over there. An absolutely uh, massive following. Mm-hmm. You, I just noticed you're busy as well. You, you're travelling and you're touring and you're on. And Clendudno, you're back there again next oh, year. Yeah, What's that year. association? Why do you love that or they love you uh, so much? Well, that started with a couple of people who met some all oh, about 15, 16, 17 years ago, maybe. Um, mm. John and June Roberts, they live in, well, June is just gone now recently, uh, in Winsford in Cheshire. And I'd been touring around various parts, got to yes. know them at different shows and they said they'd like to start up an appreciation society, which is basically a fan club, but maybe more personal. Mm. And uh, they would come to lots of my shows and then they used to bring busloads over to Ireland every August and they'd stay in all the B&Bs and yes. local place and everyone would say oh when is your crowd coming home again they say when are they coming home I mean in Ireland they're home but mm. that's what we say in Ireland isn't it when are they coming home again Yes. and they did that for years and years and then I suppose to a time um, they got older whatever so we decided to move to Clondodna which is the most gorgeous place you could ever go to I love Clondodna yes. I just love it I'd love yeah. to and they love you there. yeah but the place I mean it's yes. stunning I mean you've mm. the hotel the Grand Hotel is up on the top of the pier you've got the sea one side you've got fields the other side a big mm. great orm which you can go walk and rain fields and straight in front of you then the other side is the shops. I mean, you have everything. Punch and Judy for the kids. It's all that kind of stuff. It's just gorgeous. I love yeah. it. Little mm. shops and knick-knack shops and tea coffee shops all over the place. And one of those ideal little places just to get away from it all. You know, you were a long time on the road and spent a lot of time away as well. And then, mm. of course, you made the move solo and mm. this pandemic thing descended on the oh, blinking world. And it did. It just Well, actually, I, I finished up with Daniel. Um, Daniel Donald, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm sure they all know. <laughs> he was on me on Friday. I was chatting <laughs> I on Friday last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2019, I finished that year. And then, of course, COVID came in. Yes. The following 2020, well, late yeah. 2019, it kind of came in, didn't it? Yes, it did. So and we weren't it, taking it serious though, yeah, at that time. Yeah. And then I was away on tour um, with other acts in the March over in Scotland and I came back on the plane. And like, when we were over there, nobody was, they were all shaking hands and hugging and everything. And nobody caught anything, which was great. But coming home on the, on the plane, like everyone was separated and I thought, this is weird, masks. And then it really hit in how, mm-hmm. how awful it was. And it lasted a few years, but at the same time, um, I think it gave people time to reflect on their lives and maybe slow down a bit. And um, it was nice for me to kind of think of other things as well, because I I'd decided to stop touring with Daniel anyway. So I was trying to get my songs together and uh, sang at church every morning in Lobenstown, which was fantastic. Just me and the priest and it was streamlined live every Sunday. And it was just different things. And it just makes you think about life, doesn't it? And maybe mm. appreciate what you have. And I think people got this idea, like materialistic thing. You have to have this, you have to have that. And you just realise you don't need half the stuff you think you need. You know, you so can, true, Mary. Isn't it though? It is. I mean, social it media is. as well has us all bombarded. You what? need to go this, you need to go here, you need to have this. You know, just mad, yeah. mad rat race. Yeah. But I think people are nearly going back to it again though, haven't they? Well, you see, we are. forget quickly yeah. and we yeah. return to, yeah. you know, it does teach us a lesson, but we intend to forget the lesson. It's the same with mankind Absolutely. all over the world. Look what's going on in the yeah. world at the minute. I just oh, the time. Horrendous. Oh, it's horrendous. Needs prayers. Really? Yeah, prayers, it does. Know? That singing in the church, you know, I don't think you realise how special that was to people over that period of time when people were restricted. They well, loved what you did. And you love singing in church. You've sung St. Yeah. Mary's here yes. in Broad as well. Yeah. I know yeah. there as well. And you love that aspect. Well. Yes. Lovely night up there. Yeah. I absolutely to have Beyonce church is probably my favourite place to play I love singing everybody but it's probably my favourite mm. it's just the ambience and the, the, where you are you know you get such a great feeling you really yes. do and if you're helping people as well I mean that's good and I think mm. you know you all get a gift but if you can help people with it isn't that fantastic oh, like, yeah. to know 
Yeah, That's what it's, it's about. It's absolutely everything. When you reflect on your career and all you've achieved and all you've done, I was just, you sang in the Grand Old Opry. Oh, I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went there on holidays years ago as well and never thought I'd ever be on the stage. And it was a brilliant, brilliant feeling. I mean, to get up there and the place where, you know, Patsy Cline would have sang My Idol, I Love Patsy Cline and Tammy Unette and George Jones, saw George Jones as well at different times. But when you think they were all there, yeah, you know, at the height of their career and then here was me singing up there. It was just such a great feeling, mm. you know. And you still are the only Irish artist to work with Mr. Garth Brooks. Yeah, yeah, apparently so. The yeah, only yeah, one. yeah, the only one. Yeah, <laughs> only. there you go. Yeah, yeah. And I went to see him actually um, when he was in Ireland. Did there. you? Oh, I did. I love him. Like, yeah, he's, he's something such else. a great singer as well. It's the charisma. I mean, he's such a, a range in his voice that he can go up so high and down slow. I mean, not many people have that either. Yes. He just can sing anything and mm. such a, a character. And, and his eyes are wild. He just has such passion about his singing. Yes. He gets into it like he's yes, not just he singing does. words. It's just, it's meaning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I love that about him. Mm. But yeah. I met his guitar player actually as well and um, he is one of the artists who's playing on my on my forthcoming album as well Terrific. which is great Chris Losinger yeah. Yeah. you know we met different ones from down through the years and mm. of course met them all when, when I was touring with my 91 did the show in, in London with them yes ah oh, uh, look you've had a stellar career and on it goes and we await the new album <laughs> and she's at the TLT tonight and if you have the yeah. tickets you're one of the lucky ones Maria Carton's been on there to say hello to you another one there from Barbara as well wish oh. Mary well looking forward to seeing her in the concert tonight well yeah. you know she's won't be a bother now telling me you're under pressure oh Let yeah give us an old cheer now when you sit there absolutely sure <laughs> as hell do but they say when you perform if you haven't the little bit in well, the belly when you go up there yeah, you yeah. have to have that and yeah. then away you go you do like it's, I mean, you don't just go up there and sing out words or yeah. shout out words you have to have meaning in them and you have to get yourself yes. the right, to the right yeah. vibe to get with the people yeah. as well so that's what it's about will for me. you, do you know? always do that for sure that is for certain anyway Watch the space for the album. We're going to go back a little bit this year and play the single, which will be the name of the album, yeah, I believe. Track, track. Crayons and a Canvas. I love the word. Do you? Yeah. Well, um, that song meant a lot to me, as every song does, um, personally, because I thought, like, it's about living outside your box. You know, don't be afraid to take chances. Yes. And I had been, I suppose, with Daniel for so many years. It was like in a comfort zone in a way. Mm. And you're living someone else's dreams. So I wasn't really doing what I particularly maybe wanted to do or maybe singing all the songs that I would like to sing or try out. And I just thought, you know, get away from that and don't be afraid. Fear keeps us all away from stuff. Mm. Fear is the biggest thing, isn't it? Like, it is. really, it you're is. afraid of doing this. Oh, what will people think? Or maybe people won't like it. You're just mm. afraid of everything. Mm. But get over that fear, particularly young people, I think, in life starting off, you know, now they're starting colleges, universities and yes. going on to new uh, avenues in their life, new challenges. And don't be afraid and don't be living someone else's dreams. I know parents have a big influence, obviously, on their kids. But at the end of the day, the kids have to live their own lives and do what they are happiest doing. Yeah. You know, I've met so many young ones, Ren, like who have maybe gone for something their parents want them to do because they couldn't do it. And they hated it yeah. and they did it to please their parents. And then they end up giving it up and starting from scratch again, maybe mm. in apprenticeships or mm. lesser paid jobs. It's not all about money no. at the end of the day. It's really not. Mm. You know, life is more important than, as long as you're happy, I think. Yeah. And that's what this song kind of portrays Plow to me. your own path in exactly. life. And that's where you'll end up eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's have a listen. Good luck tonight. Can I dedicate yeah. someone Please. very special to a woman from Lobenstein. Um, I actually went into her house to surprise her last Saturday night. I was her big uh, birthday. Uh, as Daniel was saying, 30 years she'll be 100. Uh, <laughs> her name is Anne McKenna and great family get together. Great, great family. And her young, youngest son is actually going to Australia on ah. Saturday so she's kind of a bit lonely and heartbroken about that but his name is Robbie but fly your, fly your own dreams Robbie and go Absolutely. for it go for it You'll Absolutely it. and the, small, the world has become a smaller yeah. place oh, sure. the way we're all connected yeah, for sure Anyway Anne for you dedicated from the woman herself Mary Duff today thank you for joining thank me on the show Jerry. Here it is Crayons and the Canvas Thanks See you all tonight See yeah.
I don't think you're going to believe what you'll hear next. Bobby Wayne is chairman of Dundalk Dog Rescue and he joins me on the line. Afternoon, Bobby. How are you doing, Jerry? Thank you for joining me on the show today. Well, I am truly disgusted uh, and so angry about this. Tell our listeners what happened this wee dog. Uh, listen, I look. I can only give you a brief story of what we know, really, Jerry. It's the, the, it's the sad and the horrible side of that goes on in this country. Um, we believe at eleven o'clock Saturday night, horrible evening. All our dogs settled in the kennels. We're all closed down. No one's operating the gate. All sealed up. And somebody came along and opened their door and got out of their car and tied their young dog. This dog is only over. We get. We're guessing over a year old. And the nicest wee nature, as you can imagine, with these kind of dogs. And tied to the gate from 11 o'clock at night, and it was like it wasn't, you know, we didn't see it till 8 o'clock in the morning, you know what I mean? Um, because as much as we have our cameras in the kennels, if we need active, but, but outside up there, we just, we have the, ken- the camera, but it's not active to call out, you know, somebody getting into us or a breaking, and there was no, nothing to draw our attention, you know? But uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, there's this poor dog sitting on a, on a battered old wet rug uh, outside tied to the gate all night, nine hours. In the name of God, what kind of human being would do that to an innocent animal? And the weather at the moment, it's wet, it's cold. I know they say they don't feel at times, but out all night, no shelter at all, tied to your railings or your gate there. Why couldn't they just have done the decent thing and arrived up to you in daylight and said, look, we can't mind this dog anymore for for whatever reason. You'd have taken it in. Yeah, we just, it could have been surrendered. Now, the bad, the typical thing with this, Jerry, is, again, it goes back to bad ownership because it's not even, this dog didn't even get a chance from day one. This person didn't even ship their dog. And the problem is the majority of people who are losing their dogs are ending up in the pound or coming to us. 90% of the people aren't shipping them. So it just becomes to just horrible owners, owners but the wrong people with dogs again, you know what I mean? Mm. And don't, don't give a damn. Look, I get it. People can have very ter- tough circumstances. Yes. I really understand that. But the system is there for them. They can go to the pound the following day. They could have come a bit earlier on Saturday or Friday and gone into the pound with the dog and surrendered it. There you go. And Because the dog is currently in the pound right now, but it wouldn't have had to go through the suffering of tied to a gate in the pitch dark wet night right through the night of Saturday. Do you know? It boggles. But you said it there, Jerry. how much boggled you are. Believe me, all of us in rescue... We're over it. We're over these kind of people of what, what these kind of, what some people can do. Because if we had to spend our time thinking of these kind of people that had no care whatsoever, believe me, I couldn't even come out with the language on your radio of what I could, what I want to say, you know. So, so you know, this and, is... and also as, as volunteers, we're not going to spend our time in it. We have too much things to be doing. Mm. We, we, the dog is ready. We'll have a home for that dog at the end of the week. I, yet I have, a, I have a, a kennels full of pup staffies that no one will look at. But the only silver lining is this dog is that type of a dog that I can have a rehomed within a week. And he's a gorgeous fella. And thankfully, he's landed on his feet that he will get a great home. In a couple of weeks' time, it'll be, you know, the best thing that ever happened to him but in a horrible way. Yes, you know what I mean? Yes. No, and, no, we, there was yeah. no note, no food, no water, no name. You can't trace anybody. The dog is not chipped. Nine hours out in a winter night in the open. And you're saying to me, this is happening on a regular basis with people. This is not, you're, you're, you're immune to this. Is this what you're saying to me and your people? 
Well, not so much. We just listen. We're open over a year and a bit. This is the first time somebody's tied a dog to our right to go to this extreme. To go to this extreme, we've had people walked in. Well, look, we've had people walked in and don't even listen to us, and they dump their dog and go. Do you know mm, what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Drive out the door with their range and everything. So, look, there are people at least who will do... Are people who come in, I can't afford a surrender fee, please take it, please take it. Okay, grand, we can deal with anything. But what, when somebody just does that, it just rattles us that there are that kind of horrific people out there who don't give a damn. You know, if you can just tie an animal to a gate, what in God's name would they do, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. it's just kind of... Again, it's just trying to... And how do we get through to people? You know, don't get a dog. If you can't give it the care for, for 10 to 15 years, don't get one. It's very easy. Don't it's get simple. one, you know? It is. Um, uh, have you anything on camera? Can you identify the person or the vehicle or anything to do with this? Yeah. Jerry, I was going to go there, but to be honest with you, yes, I can. Okay. But, but to be honest with you, we, you know, to what avail? Mm. To what avail? Nothing will happen. It. I have I, I no disrespect, but I have no follow through with the courts and doing anything against animal welfare because it's just a, it'll be just a waste of our time. We'll end up having to go to court. It absolute joke, and nothing will happen to the person, and the dog will have been rehomed, and it'll be us volunteers again running around the place with bureaucracy doing rubbish when we can spending our time rehoming dogs. So, you know. Sadly, the system doesn't back us up when something like this happens because we have no faith in the judiciary to do anything correct about it. That's uh, that's sad to hear that, but we hear what you're saying and uh, you're in the midst of this and and you know what the situation is. Have you given the dog a name? Is it a boy or a girl? Do you know much more? It's a boy, a one-year-old. We have to... He has to... When it's tied to our gate there and then, here's another sad side. We can't take it directly into us because us as a charity has to be directly surrendered by the owner with proof of ownership or else they have to serve their five days in the pound. Mm. So that dog has to be taken by our volunteers around the corner into the Loud County Pound. So he's in the Loud County Pound now. Now, the fact that he was abandoned like that, hopefully it, we won't have to, we, hopefully it won't go through five days but it will be with us within a couple of days. And okay. we'll, have, we'll have it ready. Like, we're gearing up already. The amount of people who want to rehome it already, it's just... Fantastic. So I don't see that an issue. But sadly, you know, it could have been in the pound on Friday rather than going in there now after being, you know, having a disturbing weekend. Oh. That's a good point. Yeah, you know? listen, Bobby, uh, thank you so much for joining us today to paint the picture. No where, problem, uh, and I'll just finish by saying... All's well that ends well with this uh, creature and this little dog. But, uh, you know, please. We'll have a wonderful home by next week. And, Jerry, do you mind my two quick plug? Yeah, go on. We're Frostable. We're on the square with Frostable in two weeks. DDR with all our new branded gear and all goodies in a small little square, uh, in a little um, unit stall on the square for Frostable Festival in two weeks. Give them the support. They're great (laughs) people. Thank you, Bobby, for joining me today. Thank you so much. And hi to Thank you. Take care. Bobby Wayne there, chairman of Dundalk Dog Rescue. Read that abandoned dog. Imagine doing that, tying that little dog and leaving it out overnight. And Oh, some people, honestly, there's no accounting for the cruelty. And I'll just leave it at that today. I just get too angry and I don't want to say much more. Late lunch, LMFM radio, short break. And after the break, she's the doyen of Irish writers. Yes, Alice Taylor's joining me next. It says it on the cover of our 31st book. One of our best loved writers. I've spoken to her a number of occasions over the years and she's back with me today on the publication of Come Sit A While. Alice Taylor, hello again. Hello, Jerry. Thank you for joining me on the show. 31, Alice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It 
some collection, isn't it? It really, really is. Well, let me say to you, I love this book. And you know what? I think the title says everything about it. Come sit a while. Don't we all need to come sit a while a bit more in this mad world of ours? Don't we just, I mean, we've gone into a kind of a compulsive rush, haven't we? Yes. It's almost as if we can't put on the brake. And so I thought... Right, let's just sit a while. <laughs> so it's, uh, this is all about applying your bottom to the chair for a small while. Not leaving the chair if you're out for a walk to, to take your time and to sit and chat with people or to give the time to yourself, really, Jerry, yes. and to others as well. Mm. Because um, we're kind of on a fast forward. And I think it kind of happened without we really noticing it. Mm. And all of a sudden, we're all stampeding. And it's almost as if we're on a car conveyor belt. And we're afraid to step off because the conveyor belt would drive over us. <laughs> so true. Can I ask before I dip into a few aspects of the book, who did the pictures and illustrations? They're absolutely gorgeous. They're lovely. That's Emma Byrne. Aww. She lives in Wexford and she's... Um, She's the photographer and the illustrator with O'Brien Press. She does a great job. Yes. Now, yes. She, she lives in, a, in an old thatched house. So that tells its own story, doesn't it? Oh, it certainly does. Um, there, You know, you touch on so many aspects of our lives through each of the lovely little chapters in it. But one thing I wanted to say to you, dedicate a chapter to kindness. And I want to read this little line. You say, kindness is a language that the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Yeah. Isn't it? It's, I think it's the oil that turn, keeps the wheels of life turning. There's a little verse in there as well. The goodness of your kindness kept me in my mind. Its work could not be measured. It had goodness undefined. You held out a caring hand when I was full of pain. You thawed my frozen being and made me live again. And I think kindness does that, Jerry. Mm, Yeah, it does. Because I think it's one of the most important traits that anybody can have, to be kind to other people. And if that can be returned, it'd be a different world we'd live in, Alice. Oh, my God, wouldn't it, John? Yes. It really would, you know. Mm. But, you know, Jerry, I suppose, in a way, it takes a bit of time to be kind. You might say it doesn't, but it does. It takes time to stop and chat it takes time to sit down and write a letter to somebody who's bereaved. It takes time to lift up the phone and give people time. So it it just it just takes a little bit of time. But that's I remember reading once or somebody said to me, Never suppress a good impulse. Hmm. Yes. Because sometimes you kinda of think Oh, God, what would they say if we did, if I did this? Is it a bit crazy? Just do it. <laughs> yes, as simple as that. Enough, do it, yes. <laughs> and that's a good message to give today. You have a chapter called Going to the Well, and would, would you believe it? I passed yesterday a well uh, in my own area here, and it made me think of, because I'd been looking at your book since last week, about the well. But you talk then about the well of creativity that yes, we have. We have, and I think I learned that going to the well because I grew up when we didn't have pipe water in the house mm. so we went to the well to you know to bring the water and if you put the white enamel bucket 
which was used down into the well. The water kind of resisted at first, and then it kind of gulped open, and the bucket went down. And then as you threw the bucket up, you could almost hear the, the, the well gulping, and it filled up immediately from the depths of the, of the earth. And I think our, we, we all have a well of creativity, and except we put in the bucket and, and draw off of it, we uh, the, the the well will go stagnant, and I think the more you use your creativity, the more satisfied you are. And you know, some people think, "Oh, I I I I'm not creative." You know, we we make the mistake of thinking creativity is music, painting, mm. uh, writing, and it is. But it's baking. Yes, it's dressmaking. Mm. It's knitting. Mm. It's gardening. Yes. Sure, it's all creativity. And I think it satisfies something deep down in our inner being. Yes. And, you yeah. know, I, I love that. I was going to come to that. It's the it's the little things we do in our lives that we take for granted that are creative. And when you mention gardening, you have a, a, a part of the book dedicated to the earth, close to the earth. And I'm an old gardener myself. And I think when yes. I put my hands in the soil, it yes. does something and I can't oh, describe yes. it. Yeah, you could not analyse it. No. But if you go out in the garden and you're like, I always think you're like a briar, go out a briar, and you could you could take a snap off of somebody. After half an hour in the garden, you calm down and the world is a better place. There's something in the earth that calms us. Yes, you for know? sure. There's no doubt about that. And as I said, I can't put my finger on it, but I put my no. finger in it, Alice. That's for sure. <laughs> and I know what, what that's it's very important. <laughs> and you know something? I think that this time of the year, we we should plant spring bulbs yeah. and uh, primulace because we need flowers more in the winter than in the summer. Mm. In the summer, the whole place is dancing with flowers and brightness. But come November, December and January, oh boys, there's a greyness out there. I spent yesterday planting window boxes. and um, Good on you. Yeah, I think then the, the, you know, come the dark, dark days, you know, you smile when you look at a flower. Mm. And, you and, and you have a multitude of flowers and trees, Alice, trees in this book. You rate trees highly as part of oh, life. Highly. You know, I think planting a tree is a, it's a ceremony. And um, I think when somebody dies or when a baby is born or a wedding, uh, if there was a pre-planter to commemorate the event, uh, it enriches the occasion. And look at the good it does for the whole earth. Mm. Soaks up the carbon, shelters the birds, mm. saves us from everything flooding. I mean, a tree drinks a pile of water. Uh, you know, planting trees... There's something about it that's good for the soul as well. Yes, absolutely. You touch on sport in this book, and we love our sport in this show. Rachel oh. Blackmore. Oh, my God. When I read that chapter about yeah. Honeysuckle and Henry the Bromhead, the link. Wasn't it? Mm. I remember sitting watching that, um, Jerry, and, you know, tears ran down my face. I thought, what a wonderful moment. Competitiveness was set aside, and the whole of Cheltenham gloried in her win because it was a healing for the family. Yes. You know, and you know, if you're watching a match and sometimes there's, there's flashes of brilliance, uh, you know, if you're watching, especially hurling, I think. Yeah, of course. If, if you, yeah, if you see the, the, you know, and in a way it would be a pity if the, the competitiveness, if we're all, it, it, 
could kill that, that, that you know, that glorious sheer skill and mastery, you know, that, um, it, we, we, you know, we've got very competitive. Oh, we have, we have. No, you have to have the competition, but I say to you, when it's all over, we come yeah. together, and I think that's the important thing, and oh, we leave the, the field thing. behind us, and, you know, we are all uh, cut of the same cloth, uh, as they would say. Look, dear, Gallus, you've been there. Have you been there many times? <laughs> I'd say about four or five times. Oh, in the name of God. Oh, my God, to kill you, wouldn't it? Oh. Every time I go on it, I think, I, you know, over the, I, I, when I, you know, when you wake up, you know, after about three o'clock in the morning, you would think, God, am I quitting the head or something? Yes. Here at all. Well, listen, <laughs> you have your pen in stone, Alice. <laughs> it's a barbaric exercise, but isn't it funny? You come off lockdown then, and you kind of feel you're in the better of it. No, it, that's, it's a bit like Annie. You could not explain it. Mm. Why being starved and frozen should, should be good for you. Yes. But I think there's a something happens, you know, in the... When you think of the fellas, the monks on top of the Skellig Mitel. Yeah. So what, what motivated them? Mm. It makes no sense. No, it really doesn't. It makes no, and in a way, if you think of it, why do, we, why do people climb to the top of mountains? And could get killed in the process. Yeah. There's so many questions and we don't understand. That's don't for sure. We it. don't. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you cover off the whole thing. Actually, we were talking about it last week in terms of dealing with grief. And uh, you have yes. a chapter there after the funeral. And it comes to us all, Alice. Yes, it truly does. And, uh, you know, once the funeral is over, uh, it's thin. It's thin people, the grieving people need support. And it's the phone call and, the, you know, the letter and the calling in for a few minutes. Because, um, you know, when somebody dies, um, you know, the bereaved go into autopilot. You have to function. So mm. you keep going. But then it's afterwards the reality. And I think it's then uh, people shouldn't forget for the months afterwards. You know, this is where kindness comes in, Jerry. Then, then yeah. it's in the bereavement kindness. Yes, they yeah. do. They do indeed, and, and not to forget. And it is those times as you say you get through on autopilot, but after that, it's the days after, it's the oh, weeks, it's the, the months after, after that yeah. are, are uh, so important. Before we finish, there's a chapter yeah. there called "Hold Fast to Your Dreams." Oh yes, because I think that hold fast to dreams, because if dreams die. Life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. And we all have dreams. And then putting the legs under the dreams, that's a great... That's what gives, you know, it gives zip to life. Mm, it does. There is you know, no doubt and, about it, yeah. You know, I think even you, in a way, um, garden, you know, you, well, you know that being a gardener, Jerry, you look at the garden and you dream of what it's going to be like next spring. <laughs> And that's what keeps us all going. You're so right about that one. Listen, I have to leave it sit there today and talk to you forever. I love the book. Alice Taylor, come sit a while. You'll love it. You'll enjoy it. You're a wonderful writer. Keep doing what you're doing. 32, I can't wait for it. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. God bless you. Take care, <laughs> Alice. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's lovely Alice Taylor there. Short break. I'll have... I have our book. I'll give it to one of you, I promise. Can you ask Jerry? says a listener, how many people spent Friday night sleeping out in the rain in Drogheda? And is he angry about that? Of course I am. But we were dealing with the issue of the dog, I have to say. And I... My heart goes out to anybody who hasn't got a roof over their head or nowhere to sleep. And it's shocking. 
and we shouldn't have homeless people. We really, really shouldn't. Thank you indeed for your message. Mary Dove Colette Nugent. Mary, uh, an old neighbour and friend. Wish her well, Jerry. I will indeed, Colette. And uh, Joan Murray and Drum Conrad sends all best wishes to Mary for the big concert tonight and everything beyond. Jim really enjoyed my conversation with Errol Sweeney at the top of the show, talking to Errol about VAR and all that's going on with that nonsense in the Premier League at the moment. Now let's uh, tidy up the housework. Alice Taylor's new book, Come Sit A While. It's lovely. It's going out today to Marie Carlin. Well done to you. Loads of people looking for that book. She's ever popular, Alice, that's for sure. My ARC Cinema competition, yes, LMFM and the ARC Cinema are teaming up to host the screening of the Marvels in the ARC Cinema Drahad on Wednesday the 15th of November, 20 past six. You must be over 13. This is the important thing to attend. It's 13 plus uh, this movie. So that's the important thing for the winners today. No one the 13s, please. I've tickets to give away all week and they're in blocks. I have tickets for two people. I've tickets for four people and tickets for three. Two, three, four. I should have done it in order. Anyway, the winners today, a pair of tickets is going to Ashling Finlay. That's for two people. Three people going along. Irene Hoy plus two others. Well done, Irene. And four people going along. Sean Black plus three. So that's four in total. Well done to Ashling Finlay, Sean Black and Irene Hoy. You're the winners today. But I'll have tickets to give away here on the show right through the week on your late lunch. Now, let's do this on the show. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's the number five from 1981. And when I tell you they'd been off the scene for a few years, these guys, yes, the four tops, they actually uh, split with their record label Motown they were famous for, but they went off with a brand new label with this one. And by God, it got them back on the scene. It reached number three in the UK, the first top ten hit there in nine years. And indeed, Mr. Bruce Springsteen has recorded it. Four tops When she was my girl Number five In our top five countdown From this week In 1981 And I was just mentioning there At the uh, start of the song Bruce Springsteen Has actually covered that song It's on his 2022 album Only the Strong Survive So perhaps we'll hear it In Ireland next year When he's here I'm sure we'll hear it He plays for five or six hours Does he? He does that anyway Anyway that's our number five 1981 this week 4321 Coming up For the rest of the week Here in Late Lunch Round about this time Final break of this Monday afternoon And we're back with Beekeeper Simon O'Cronin by now, I'm sure you all realise the importance of bees to life on Earth. And Irish and native bees are so special. They produce wonderful honey and a wonderful range of honey, depending on where they're feeding. I decided this morning I wanted to have a chat with a renowned beekeeper. He's on the line, Simon O'Cronin from County Mead. Afternoon, Simon. Hello, how are you all? I'm really good and so are our listeners as well. Thank you so much for joining me. Look at the weather, the rain of recent weeks. I was just thinking about the bees. You know I kept them myself in the past. How are yours? Are they in snug and sound for the winter and well fed? Well, at this time of the year now, the bees don't have to go out at all because they have their winter food is in and their winter food is mostly honey that they get from the ivy. 
And they will come out now, they will come out on fine days because they have to bring in water. Mm. But they can keep the hive very warm and snug inside. The temperatures inside in the beehive are up in the 30s, believe it or not. Really? And if I put out a beehive there and if I have bees in it, the boxes are only made a deal, mm. ordinary deal. Mm. And they could be painted with something like uh, products like Timberguard or Fence Life or something like that. But if you put out an empty hive with no bees, it has rot in a few years. But when the bees are inside in it, it's like that there's central heating inside in the hive. It keeps the whole thing warm and dry. <laughs> That's great to know. So they're snug yeah. and secure and they've plenty of food to keep them going. So you won't have to feed them over the winter? Well, we're very lucky up here in this part of Ireland. We hardly have to feed the bees at all because our bees winter on ivy. Mm. And the ivy comes out in the month of September. And a lot of people don't realise that the ivy is full of flowers because they're little green flowers. And that, those flowers secrete nectar at a low temperature. And it's not just the bees, it's all the different kinds of bees and all the uh, Irish insects in general really uh, need ivy because that's what an awful lot of them winter on. And it can secrete nectar depending on the weather and the temperatures right up until Christmas and maybe after it. So that sustains them? It does. And they're not just bringing in the nectar, they're bringing in pollen as well. But there in the autumn, there was a fine week there in the autumn when they brought in the bulk of it. You know, a really, really strong hive that is healthy and has a good population. They could bring in 40 or 50 pounds of ivy honey for the winter. That's an enormous amount. And the queen's in the middle and the workers are around. And you know the way the workers only live for so long in summer? They obviously live longer over the winter? Yes. The, the ones that uh, live for maybe six or eight weeks in the summer, really what happens to them is they work themselves to death. But the ones that are born in the autumn, those bees are alive the following spring mm. to start. And they... they if you could imagine, and you remember, Jerry, a hen could sit on a boat and from 8 to 12 eggs. She could incubate that amount of eggs. Well, the more bees that's in the hive in the springtime, the more eggs can be incubated. And uh, so the queen will start to lay up then in the springtime, whatever covering she has of bees that are able to keep it warm. And then the nest, the population in the nest starts to increase again. How many bees would be in the hive at this time of the year compared to the summer at the peak? It's very hard to say, but we think that our bees could have 50,000 if they're really, really healthy, say, in the month of June. Mm. And we think it could go down as low in the middle of the winter or the springtime. It could go down as low as 10 or 15. Yeah. Well, sorry, I, I wouldn't make the job of counting them. <laughs> no, well, I, that's I for don't sure. know how anyone would count them. <laughs> so, well, but that's a good, a, a good summation based on history and a lot of beekeepers. Now, look, let's reflect a little bit on the year. May, June was good for you. September, not so bad. July, a disaster, was it? It was. Well, think about it this way. Uh, the flowers are constantly changing. We have the spring flowers. I'll give you an example of a few of them. You'd have the, the first of them to come out to be little ones like the crocus and all that. But then the real big important one would be the dandelion. And it would go from the dandelion, then we go to the sycamore. And around that time, we could have the eyeseed rape, especially in Loudon Mead. Mm. And then from then on, you're, there, there are others like there are chestnuts and that. And then the next 
big flowers after that you're waiting on the clover and the blackberry and there the, that's the July crops the clover blackberry and up here in this part of Ireland then there's a gap in the month of August unless you're beside the bog where you have the two types of heathers and my bees here aren't beside the bog so there's a gap in, in the nectar until the ivy comes in then in the autumn so this year uh uh, it, it was a very, very wet summer, but we got the, the May and the June honey. Right. So we did all right. Like, I mean, I, a lot of the lads I was talking to here now, we're, very, we're happy enough. The thing about it is I took the honey off them mm. uh, after the oil seed rape and after the, the spring flowers. And then the weather got very bad. And then my bees were in trouble, really, because come the end of July, I had to feed them in July because I actually took too much. Right. I didn't, I knew, you can always have bad weather, but I didn't expect July to be as bad as that. But thinking back to years, you know, we do have wet summers, and we do have bad summers, and we have good summers, and you can never tell. The best summer, I suppose, we had around here ever, honey-wise, was 1989. We, we hadn't enough boxes to put on the, <laughs> on the hives for the bees to fill. Not enough supers. We, we hadn't enough supers to go on the highs. We were making up boxes, and uh, it was it, it was very warm. It was a drought, and then what happens if you do have a drought is eventually the ground the ground will dry up, and there won't be any moisture left in the flowers, and the whole thing like it's like a tap being turned off yes. to stop. But eighty nine was probably the biggest bumper of all that I remember. Yeah. But this year, uh, July then was wet, and August, there wasn't much to be had in August anyway. Uh, but we did, get, we did get just enough fine days in September that they got in their winter feed, which is the, the ivy. Well, that's not so bad here. But as you say, we're at the vagaries of the climate. Uh, of course, yeah, uh, climate change is something that beekeepers are concerned about. And, you know, your bees are reflective of changing climate. Well, they are, and... and uh, I, I, I don't like to see this climate change at all because I know that mankind is causing it and all that. Mm. But uh, one of one one of the one of the creatures that might just do a little bit better where we live are the bees. Mm. Uh, it looks it's very hard to say. It looks like the, it, we're going to get get an awful lot more rain. Yes. But it also seems that when the weather does come fine, that we're getting very fine weather. Mm. So you'll have to cope with that, with those changes as well as as will the bees. Those changes, yeah. Yeah. How many hives have you? Ah, uh, sure. I haven't as many as I had because I'm not getting any younger, Jerry. And <laughs> do you know that honey is very heavy? Do you know that a bucket of honey is almost twice the weight of a bucket of water? It sure is. I've experienced it myself in the past. There is a weight in them. And when you're lifting off them supers on the full, you'll know all about yeah. it for sure. So what would you have had at the maximum when you when you were in full flight with hives? How many hives would you have been keeping? Well, if you go back to the end of the 80s, myself and two other lads were working together. Yeah. Myself and, and the two of them now, they're, they're gone to the reward. Uh, Seamus Mooney from Kells and Dan Murphy from the Commons in Navin. And we worked together. Also, we had, I suppose... Between the three of us, we'd upwards of 100 at that time, but we were younger then and we were fishing, <laughs> we were well able for them. Um, uh, and uh, uh, we had great fun working together yeah. because uh, you'd go through hives, when there'd be three lads at them, you'd go through hives very quickly. Yeah, but it and, takes work, um, it does. 
we had we 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 had great times and uh, working, but sure the, the the lads the lads are gone now. So yeah. I don't have as many. I have a son is interested in them, and I have my daughter here is interested. Oh, great. And in the in the future, I'm hoping they might do some a bit more of the lifting for me. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> and listen, you can't beat native Irish honey from our own native bees. It's magnificent. There's so much good in it. Well, it is, and and uh, the, the the local beekeepers, uh, loud and made. We, we whatever way the honey comes in, generally speaking, we jar it. Mm. Uh, a lot of the honey that you might get in supermarkets, that it, it's blended. Yes, it'll be different honeys mixed together. So our honey can change from the springtime to the autumn time, depending on what um, what the bees were working at at the time, yeah. and. Uh, do you have porridge for your breakfast in the morning? Do I you? do, sometimes, yeah. Well, I have it every morning and a big spoon of honey on top of ah. it and, and milk. Ah. And uh, it's, it's, uh, that's, it keeps me going to the middle of the day. <laughs> well, you know what? It'll keep you going forever, Simon. I love it on the honey. I love the honey on the porridge myself. I might slice a little banana into it too and it's gorgeous. Listen, I'm going to leave it there for today. I'll be back to you, I promise. Keep on beekeeping as you have been for years and years. You're great yeah. and thank we, you for joining we, me today. Thanks very much, Sherry. Mind yourself. God bless you. Take care of yourself. That's Simon O'Crony in there, wonderful beekeeper from County Mead, just giving us an update on how things are with the bee population at the moment. There you are, 30-something degrees in the hive. I think I'll climb in myself with the way the weather is. It'd be lovely, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have to go to Lanzarote or anywhere like that. Anyway, don't go anywhere. Be back with us here in late lunch tomorrow from 1.30. Big thanks to Brian Farley, who's been looking after me today. Thanks so much, Brian. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with the drive here on LMFM. Late lunch, back Tuesday, 1.30. We'll see you then.